We are just a few days away from another European transfer window closing. And there's still an awful lot of business to be done. So coming up, all the very latest transfer news that you would ever need to know. And I will have three titans from the world of football transfers joining me. Firstly, none other than the transfer guru himself, Fabrizio Romano, will be here very shortly. But two standout journalists are already with me on the debrief. From the US, major newsbreaker Tom Bogart. Hi, Tom. Great to have you on the debrief. What's going on? Uh, thanks for having me. I, I feel feel very lucky to be be around, you know, Ben Jacobs and Fabrizio Romano. I, uh, I, I thank you for putting me on as, as a little hangnails of this show. I'll, uh, I'm going to get out of the way unless people want to hear about, you know, Nashville SC's season coming transfers. But I think hey, that's Chelsea and Barcelona might be the you, you can bring us plenty of stuff, Tom. Don't you worry about that. And, <laughs> and, and thankfully, as ever, as, as you can see, I'm delighted that my sidekick, Ben Jacobs, is here. Uh, ben, this is going to be a busy hour. A busy hour, a live hour, get your questions in. And hey, Tom, don't put yourself down. You're the man with the best moustache, the best hair, the best shirt and the best scarves on the show, certainly. <laughs> Anyways, I'm really looking forward to this next hour. And Fabrizio is coming as well. Exactly. He is on his way. So over the next hour or so, we want to hear from you. Dozens of you have posted questions already, and we will get through as many of them as we can over the next 60 minutes. Add any more that you want in the comments section below or through our socials. We are discussing not only specific transfers, but also the fact that deadline day is looming. And why is this week so damn crazy? Uh, ben? Why is it so damn crazy? <laughs> it's a great question. It's a simple question. It has a complicated answer. You would think over the course of the summer that teams would try and do their business both with conviction, but also strategy to the point where you're not scrambling at the last minute. But we all know that that's not how the window works. And I think the answer to your question is really just because you hit a point in the season where you've started playing games. And in the early part of the window, you plan in advance and your technical director is often a big part of that, along with your sporting director. Then you have preseason and you assess. Then you start the season. Maybe you get an injury. Luke Shaw, Manchester United, Newcastle, Sven Botman at the weekend as well. Or you just can't get a target over the line. So you have to work at the very last minute. And this is the most unreliable part of the window because teams change their targets. Maybe a player they thought they could get isn't available. Maybe a side sells someone because they get a replacement in. So it's more of a merry-go-round. And I think sometimes with deals, you have to wait as a tactic until the last minute because that's your most realistic chance of getting them done. Tom, for you, it's a, a, a bonkers sort of time uh, of the year. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to piggyback on what Ben said. Um, I think that your answer was eloquent and it was very thoughtful. I think the other part of it is just human psyche. We love to procrastinate. Um, I've been laughing about this all the time because obviously MLS players are often further down. You know, Jude Bellingham moves in June. And then going down, Noel Buck of the New England Revolution, maybe he would go at, at some time of this. So we're used to waiting down the food chain. And a lot of it is just procrastination. And like you said, trying to wait out better and better deals. But yeah, the time, the time of the year is pretty crazy. Um, for MLS clubs in particular, the transfer window closed on August 2nd. So it is particularly difficult when these teams that either procrastinate or get further and further down the food chain in that game of musical chairs you talked about, Ben, 
Um, if a team comes in with a big offer like Chelsea come in for Georgie Petrovic for New England, the only way they could replace him was on the free agent market. So MLS clubs are in a very difficult position right now because they cannot go out and sign like a proper replacement. They're restricted only to free agents. I, I ben, for, for you, look, um, there are a few live deals uh, that, that we can get to. Look, just remember that Fab is on his way. Uh, Fabrizio Romano will be here, so keep your questions coming for him. Um, but there are a few live deals that, that are going on at the moment that, that you've got your finger on the pulse of. Yeah, let's talk about Mo Salah. I think that's the one that everyone wants a definitive answer to. By the way, Fabrizio is coming and I think he might be locked away in Angus's basement wherever he is and we'll <laughs> drag him out in about five minutes' time. But he's in a bad I'm not cave, allowed right to. I'm not allowed to tell you where he is. I'm not allowed <laughs> to tell you. All right. He is the most wanted man uh, in the whole of Europe. So you, I cannot divulge my secrets. But Fab will be here in five minutes. But I want to talk about Mo Salah, and I'm sure Tom's got one or two live deals as well before we bring in Fabrizio. The Liverpool position couldn't be any clearer. Mo Salah is not for sale, and Jurgen Klopp said after that astonishing victory away at Newcastle at the weekend that he thinks the story is over. But every story has a buyer and a seller. Of course, the seller has to be willing to play ball and sit at the table. But what I can tell you is that in the last 48 hours, Al-Itihad have been preparing an offer around 150 million euros. It's 100 million euros guaranteed with 50 million in add-ons. And they mean business. And the reason why Al-Itihad mean business is because even though Salah was seemingly a target in 2024 only, now the Saudi champions would like to move because they want Salah to be part of the Club World Cup in 2023. The other factor in this is that Al-Itihad may not get Salah in 2024 because there'll be other Saudi clubs. Whoever's the champions is one to watch, but Al-Hilal have always wanted Salah as well. In fact, there was a three-man list. It was Messi, one, they didn't get him. Neymar, two, they've just signed him. But Salah was the third name on that list. So this is again why Alite had want to move now, because there may not be a possibility for them specifically to get Salah in 2024, even though Saudi dealmakers will still work on him in a year's time. So we wait and see if a formal offer is placed at the time we're live. I'm not aware of one. And then will Liverpool simply stick to their position or will money talk? And for Salah, he has a package equivalent to that earned by Neymar and Cristiano Ronaldo, around £180 million, of which £65 million is the base wage. This is still going to be one to watch between now and the end of the window, just because I sense that Al-Itihad will try. But let's be very clear here. Liverpool's stance is still not for sale. Coming to you, Tom, look, um, Petrovic to Chelsea. Give us an insight into that deal and, and how New England Revolution will replace him. Yeah, so New England, uh, the, that, that part's easier. They have already replaced him with uh, Tomas Vatslic. He was most recently with Huddersfield Town. He's a free agent. Again, um, there wasn't a ton of options unless that they were going to try to convince David De Gea to come. And spoiler alert, there uh, that wasn't going to happen with the budget. And I'm sure De Gea isn't very interested in the move to New England. Um, but the deal for Chelsea came together with, look, New England really didn't want to sell. They rejected bids of around like $10 million in value from Nottingham Forest and Nantes. Uh, Petrovic asked the club to accept him. He he told himself he only did individual training for a few days. They convinced him, look, we want you to stay for the uh, for the playoffs. We'll sell you in the winter. We don't care if we sell you for less. Like we care about being competitive right now. And then Chelsea came in. And as sources I talked to at New England, it was pretty clear 
they you couldn't turn it down. Like there was an offer you couldn't refuse. Seventeen point five million up front, which is an MLS record for a goalkeeper. Very handedly, the sec- second place is Gaga Sonina at ten million up front to Chelsea as well. Um, and look like. Georgi Petrovic, I think he's going to have a legitimate chance to be a starter and earn starting minutes. I think I think he should be Serbia's number one keeper, and the move to Chelsea is going to help whether he's playing or not. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very excited for fans of Chelsea, fans of the Premier League, and, and, and more European-based fans to figure out really how good this kid is. We've got Fab coming on the line very, very shortly. So as we say, keep your questions coming in for him, and they're coming in by their dozens. Ben, we've got time for you. Um, Brennan Johnson now to Spurs. Is he Postacoglu's top target as a, a replacement for Keane? Uh, Kane, sorry. Spurs are certainly exploring this one. Keane and Kane, both former <laughs> Spurs players now, of course. Yeah. But Kane, the one to depart for Bayern, got a brace, didn't he, on his home Bundesliga debut at the weekend. But Brennan Johnson's possibility, what it's an indication of, perhaps most tellingly, is that Postacoglu is not in a rush to replace Harry Kane like for like. So Jonathan David is another name that Spurs have looked at. And historically, Fabio Paratici was quite a big fan. So, by the way, was Graham Potter at Chelsea. But it looks like a more creative-minded, versatile, wider forward might be the solution for Spurs. So this one's a difficult deal to pull off. The reason for that is because Nottingham Forest are looking for somewhere in the region of 50, even 55 million pounds. Davinson Sanchez has been discussed in early talks about being part of a cash plus player deal. So we have to wait and see now whether Spurs move. But Postacoglu likes Brennan Johnson. He scored eight goals in the Premier League last season and 10 in all competitions. So that's going to be one to watch between now and the end of the window. I think that Chelsea and Tottenham are going to be very busy between now and the end of the window with both outgoings and incomings as well. So Tottenham are in a blessed position because they have built a buzz under Ange Postacoglu but they still need to make sure they replace those Kane goals. And I'm sure when Fabrizio joins us in just a second, he'll have more to say on this one. Well, he's here, Ben. Uh, so let's bring in the big man himself. Oh, guys. It is. There he is. Fabrizio, how are you? Nice to see you. All good. Thank you. Good, good, good. We we were just um, discussing Brennan Johnson, actually, to Spurs, a, t- a top target for Postacoglu. Uh, is that the case? Yes, it is. Uh, it's one of the players that for sure will be uh, in the list in these final days for uh, for Tottenham. I think it's clear now that they are going for different kind of player. They consider the traditional number nine for a couple of weeks, players like Gift Orban, also Jonathan David, but they never started a concrete negotiation with clubs. So it was not something advanced with those players. And they started to consider now a different kind of, of player, someone who can enter in the ideas of Ange Postecoglou to play this kind of uh, fluid football as they are doing very well in the first games uh, under the new the new coach and so um, Brendan Johnson is a concrete target it's true that Brentford submitted the proposal today a very important one after they received a no from Fiorentina for Nico Gonzalez they tried for Brendan Johnson but Tottenham are still there Tottenham want to enter into concrete negotiations with Nottingham Forest in the next hours or days and so I think this is going to be one to watch this week how do you approach approach this week Fabrizio, because, you know, hey, look, <laughs> you're usually on the, the phone same, 17 or 18 hours a day. Yeah, yeah but my no secret sleep. is that it's always the same. In February, March, or in the final week of August, uh, I never stop. So for me, it's impossible to stop. That's the secret. You go on, you start texting people, calling people, be <laughs> online every single day, and the final week of August is going to be the same as the first week of February. <laughs> okay, well, let's get on with what you're, what you're good at. Uh, let, let's move on to uh, Mateus Nunez. <laughs> Uh, to yeah. Man City. Is is this one likely? 
Yeah, I think it's very likely. Yesterday, from what I'm told, Manchester City submitted a new proposal to, to Wolves. The opening one was 55 million euros. It also included and was rejected by Wolves. Now, Man City are bidding in excess of 60 million euros. So, with some adults also. So, I think there is a very good chance to make this deal happen. They have an agreement with the player because Mateusz Nunes wants to go to Manchester City. And Man City are very confident. Now, let's wait for a Wolves final answer to this proposal. But Man City believe that this week they can make the deal happen and they can have a new midfielder in Mateusz Nunes, who is a player really appreciated by Pep Guardiola. So, from what I'm told, Pep multiple times in the meetings they had internally. Uh, at Manchester City also last year. Uh, he mentioned the name of Mateusz Nunez as one of the most important potential future targets and now seems to be the right moment to make it happen. Okay, um, another side of Manchester, also a midfielder. Uh, Sofian Amrabat, how close are we to this deal? I can say that we are close because at the moment there is still no concrete negotiation between clubs. There have been contacts between Man United and Fiorentina through intermediaries, but no official bid. So we spent three months uh, speaking about Omrabat and Fiorentina because they had very good contacts on player side. So let's say that on player side, uh, they almost agreed uh, a potential future transfer with, uh, with Sofian Amrabat. And he's waiting for Fiorentina since a long time. He was not playing for Fiorentina this weekend because he's basically waiting for Fiorentina, sorry, for Manchester United to bid and to start contacts with Fiorentina. So looks to be a matter of time to see this bid. But at the moment, the bid is not there. So let's see what kind of strategy May United will have in the final days for the new midfielder. But Amrabat is still waiting. Amrabat is not training with Fiorentina first team because he wants to fight to have his top club move in the final days of the window. But again, at the moment, there is no bid in. So let's wait and see when May United and if May United will really decide to enter this negotiation with, uh, with Fiorentina. Fabrizio, before I ask my question, I have to ask you something personally about yeah. the window. When we see you on your tremendous Heineken deadline day show, <laughs> you've only got one phone. Is it true yeah. you operate with just a single mobile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one, just one. I, I would not be able to, to use two phones, honestly. Uh, my phone <laughs> I is completely agree. Me, and just one is, is fine. Everything on one phone and, uh, and I need three, four phone chargers. That's crucial because my phone is always died but okay it's fine <laughs> that's incredible i don't know how you do it but congratulations on all of your good work of course let's talk about mo salah any possibility he leaves liverpool in the coming days look i think it's very difficult uh, the message i'm getting from liverpool wednesday thursday friday always the same in private and also in public with jürgen klopp i think they're being very clear they don't want to let mo salah leave so i think this is very complicated it's also true, and, and we have to mention that, that Al-Ikihad presented a very big proposal. They approached Mossala at the beginning of August, but the proposal was not at this level for the player. Now they have almost uh, offered a double of what they offered at the beginning of August to Mossala. It's very close to Cristiano Ronaldo's salary. So what they're offering in terms of contract to the player is really insane. And it's not so normal for Mo Salah to discuss with Al-Ittihad. It's something normal in football when you get this kind of proposals. But we have to respect Liverpool and Liverpool position is the player is not for sale. We don't want to negotiate. They keep repeating that in private and in public with Klopp. So I think that's very clear. Honestly, I would be very surprised to see Mo leaving in the final three, four days of the transfer window. Also because to replace Mo Salah in three days is uh, almost mission impossible, I think. And Jawa Felix, Barcelona or Saudi? 
he will wait for Barcelona till the end of the transfer window. So that's guaranteed uh, from what I'm told. At least Joe Felix wants to work for Barca. He's been very clear in July. My dream is Barcelona. I want to play for Barcelona. And the message is still the same. So Joao is waiting for them. Then if Barcelona will communicate this week uh, or on deadline day that they can't make it happen for financial reasons or technical reasons, we will see. In that case, Joao Felix will consider the approaches he received again from Saudi. I say again because he received some approaches from Alilal uh, early August. Uh, there was no agreement with Atletico Madrid because they were offering the loan and Atletico were not accepting that kind of solution with, uh, with Alilal. So now the only option, I think, is to wait for Barcelona till Friday. If it's not going to happen, I think it would be a possibility for him to consider Saudi, Saudi options or any other last-minute opportunity. But his priority remains Barcelona. Fab, I know that uh, MLS won't be home for Xiao Felix now or, or anytime soon, but uh, what's the latest kind of you're hearing on potential big names like, say, Antoine Griezmann or anybody else kind of off the board coming to uh, that MLS clubs have interest in? Yeah, I think it will be it will be interesting as always in the final days, no? Because now uh, it's it's quiet; it's not something imminent. Also, I saw these rumors about uh, Antoine Griezmann, but the message I'm getting on player side is that he doesn't want to leave Atletico Madrid. We have rumors about MLS, Saudi, Paris Saint Germain, many different things. But from what I'm hearing, Antoine Griezmann wants to stay at Atletico Madrid. He feels super comfortable there. Uh, he feels he made a mistake to leave Atletico Madrid in the past, so I don't think he's going to repeat that anytime soon. So I don't see Griezmann leaving in this final days of the window and in general I think for MLS the final days are going to be crucial to see if there is some opportunity for them uh, as they as you know better than me you're doing an incredible <laughs> job on that so I'm sure that you know more names than me but I think it's going to be something close to the, to the deadline because at the moment I think all the all the players like the big names are still waiting for a top European move. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and again, okay. the, the, the MLS, sorry, the MLS window is closed only to the free agents that yeah. could sign. So that was more of, of the future, like particularly with Griezmann, who's always talked about the NBA and coming to MLS. Sure. Okay, let's have a look at uh, some of the viewers' questions now. Here, CFC, PYS, also DK, Zero, Arshdeep. When are Chelsea going to move for the attacking player that they need? And is Ryan Cherky on Chelsea's list? Look, for Turkey at the moment, I'm not aware of anything uh, advanced or concrete. Mm, so I also saw this rumor a lot of times on my Twitter timeline in June, in July, in August. But at the moment, I'm told that it's not a concrete negotiation. Then in case something changes, we will let you know. But at the moment, uh, Olympic Lyon sources are also denying any, any kind of negotiation for, uh, for Turkey. And, uh, and for Chelsea, uh, nice question. When? Uh, I will let you know. I'm not the director, unfortunately. So I can tell you if it's going to be tonight, tomorrow or on, or on Wednesday. But for sure, Chelsea will do something. Chelsea are discussing internally. You know that Chelsea have a, an important structure with many people deciding altogether, the owners, directors. So they are discussing internally on which one could be the best option. They wanted Olise. We know that. It was very close. It was almost done and then it collapsed with Crystal Palace. But they wanted that kind of player. So I expect Chelsea to go for a creative player, player who can play, as Mauricio Pochettino mentioned, on different positions up front, not just a single position, not just a traditional number nine. And so they are exploring multiple options. But I think now it's time for the internal discussion, starting from maybe tonight, tomorrow, they can start concrete negotiation to bring in a new, a new offensive player. Okay, XMO 19's asked this one, Fab. With United's injuries, do you think there can be a surprise flagship signing like Casemiro was last year, or will it only be damage control now? I think for Man United, uh, it's going to be a busy week for three positions. The midfielder, as we mentioned, let's go if it's going to be Amrabat or, or any, other, any other player, we will see, but that kind of position, they, they want to cover that for sure. 
and keep an eye on Gravenberg eh? for May United and for Liverpool because the player is still waiting to understand what Bayer want to do with him. And so Gravenberg could be a surprising name in the final days of the window for Liverpool or, or May United. Then the left back, they want to sign a new left back uh, because of the injury of, of Luke Shaw. I think they will do something there. Let's see if it's going to be Cucurella. They had contacts over the weekend with Chelsea, but Chelsea want a loan fee and salary covered. So let's see how much May United want to invest on that position. There is also the Guion, Marcos Alonso, multiple options in that position. And then the backup goalkeeper with Bajindir, who is the big favourite, because they had contacts from with Benfica for uh, Blachodimos, but the player looks close to joining Nottingham Forest now, and Bajindir is very close to joining Manchester United. So I think these three positions will be covered by Manchester United in the final days of the window. And, and would that be, a, you know, McTominay could be leaving, um, potentially to Bayern, or uh, still the West Ham option? It's true that Thomas Tuchel is a big fan of the player. Uh, I can confirm that. Then, at the moment, May United have not received a formal approach from Bayern for McTominay. I think Bayern, for both centre-back to replace Pavard and midfielder, as Thomas Tuchel wants that kind of player, they are still discussing now internally on which one could be the best option. But for sure, McTominay is a player they appreciate. Let's see if they will really approach Manchester United. Okay, then. Anyone got one more question to throw to Fab before we let him go? Fabrizio, I'll come in with a final question, which I think Chelsea fans want to know. And so do Roma ones too. How close is Romelu Lukaku's loan move from Stamford Bridge to Italy? Very close. It's very, very close. Uh, Roma fans here in Italy are buzzing. They can't wait to see Romelu Lukaku in, in Roma. And I think it's just a matter of time. Roma want to close the deal today. So the discussions are advancing between Roma and, uh, and Chelsea. They had contacts also overnight to reach an agreement on loan fee that is going to be around 5 million euros, salary coverage, so the discussion is advancing, and also on player side. Uh, so everything is going in the right direction. I think today could be the, the crucial day to make it happen. Fabrizio, as ever, we really appreciate your time and coming on the debrief. It's been great to hear your thoughts, and we will uh, speak to you again next week, of course. Thank you, guys. Thanks to all of you. Congrats for the new job, and uh, see you soon. Ciao. See you soon. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao. ciao, ciao, ciao. I still can't believe he he only works with one phone. That's that's just ridiculous. <laughs> bearing and and bearing in mind how many deals there seem to be still to happen this week, and he's trying to do it off. I, I just wonder if he's got an old Nokia or if he if he's actually got an up to date phone. You know what, what's he what's he using? Ben, do you use multiple phones? I mean, there's a way of doing it with one phone in terms of perhaps having all of your contacts and yes. WhatsApps in one place, but I need two screens and two phones. I really? need phone number one, which is your primary number to go back and forwards. And then phone number two, because you might be on a call and you might still need to be able to glance at something and you might be on the go and you might not have the laptop by you. So I'm a two phone, two screen man, but Fabrizio is doing everything, calls, messages, lives of just a single phone. And God knows what that phone bill must be as well, by the way. You must have an incredible data plan. <laughs> Tom, I have to tell you that I don't even know what Ben's second phone number is. So that, that's that's how exclusive it is. <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah, I know. He's never given it to me. Maybe Mind you've got you, the second never... phone number and you've not got the friends and family one. <laughs> maybe maybe that's it. You might be right, Ben. Right. Let's let's move on. Um I, I need to know from you, Ben. Look, how busy are Chelsea gonna be? Because uh, Fabrizio has hinted that there's still a bit of work to do there. How busy do you think they will be? 
Well, they and Spurs, as I said earlier, are going to be busy right until the final seconds of the window. For Chelsea, there'll be more outgoings than incomings, but we need to keep an eye on a few positions, particularly that creative-minded attacker. The big question for Chelsea all summer after the Christopher Nkunku injury has been whether or not they want a traditional number nine, which would push Amanda Broya further down the pecking order or more of a versatile, wide attacking forward. And I think the latter is Chelsea's preference from what I'm told. And also, if we just look at the bid for Michael Elise, which failed, he's since extended his contract at Crystal Palace. We know that they were prepared to trigger that very complicated release clause. And that, again, tells you that that's the type of player they're looking for. Brennan Johnson was always more likely and still is for Spurs than Chelsea. And that's simply because Chelsea are put off by the asking price. They value Brennan Johnson at around 35 million and Nottingham Forest would be looking for 50 million or more. A lot of people talking about Bradley Bracola, who is intent on joining PSG, but that's not an easy deal to do with Leon. So we need to wait and see whether Chelsea can muscle in on that one late. And then we have to understand whether or not Chelsea are going to move in any other areas. I think that now they've settled the goalkeeper situation, they'll probably be prioritising that attack-minded player. And then if anything else emerges on the market, we wait and see whether there's any surprises. But outgoings are going to be interesting. Lukaku, we've already discussed, so I won't go into too much more detail. But as Fabrizio rightly says, that one is looking very likely now to Roma in the next 12 to 24 hours. Trevor Chalaber's an interesting one. He wants to fight for his place at Chelsea, but I don't see too much game time for him. Conor Gallagher, same boat, but more minutes. And that might mean he stays at Chelsea. But just keep a little eye on West Ham. I know that we spoke about West Ham and Scott McTominay, but Gallagher's a more modern mid fielder. He can get box to box. He can score goals. He can be more disciplined as well. That one might be a possibility late in the window as well. But Chelsea are comfortable if he ends up staying. And then beyond that, let's see what the rest of the window brings for Chelsea because there's other names and possibilities out there. They want to be ambitious. They want to maximise the time of the window right until the very last second. So Chelsea are going to be busy. But if you add up from now until the deadline ends, outgoings and incomings, then outgoings are still going to outnumber incomings. So keep an eye on Chelsea. And it's exactly the same for Spurs as well. Uh, Tom, for you, what have you made of all the, the the Saudi deals that have happened? And there have been probably more than we've all expected. You know, we, we thought it might be nominal. There might be a few big names, but not the quantity that have gone to Saudi Arabia. And how much of a threat do you feel that what the Saudis are doing is to MLS. Yeah, absolutely. Look, like MLS clubs cannot come anywhere near the kind of money that the Saudi clubs are offering. So they're a threat in that regard. But like if if Saudi wants a player and MLS wants the same player, if that player is only moving for money, there's there's no argument for MLS because it, it won't happen. Like Roberto Firmino, St. Louis City was a team that were interested in him. They, they realized it was a long shot no matter what. But they thought that's because he was going to go to Inter Milan or Barcelona or something. And he ends up in Saudi Arabia. Look, if Lionel Messi didn't come to MLS, it would be a bit of a crisis, right? Like he turned down like $1.5 billion. Like thankfully that he had made up his mind a while ago that like it was either back to Barcelona or to MLS. Like he didn't have much interest in, in really going to Saudi Arabia. So if he went, and again, if it was just for money, he would have went to Saudi Arabia. Um, we'd be it, it'd be very difficult because there is no way to compete with that money. Um, and again, with the boost that Messi has given MLS clubs, 
perhaps MLS clubs will start to go back into that market more because look like Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi came to MLS and, and Toronto spent a lot of money on those two players and it's been nothing short of a disaster so far. Like they've gotten the coach fired. They've been bad on the field. They've argued with each other. They've argued with the interim coach. They've, they've done everything but perform on the field. So MLS clubs have kind of been leaning away from that sort of like type of signing, but Messi has like kind of rejuvenated the possibility of, Oh, when you get it right, you really hit a home run. So the, the, the Saudi clubs coming in for all of those types of players, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, plenty of uh, American players um, in Europe, quite a few moving, um, you know, during the summer. Which ones stand out for you as as really good bits of business this year? Christian Pulisic to AC Milan. Uh, that was my favorite move. And, and Yunus Musa, honestly, is a close second. But look, like it, it's... A lot of uh, American fans or U.S. national team fans who would watch Chelsea for Pulisic and, and really kind of tune in. It was the same thing with the players at Leeds that have now all left. But, you know, you just look at what Pulisic is doing in, in a couple games with AC Milan and it's like, why why were Chelsea playing him at right wing back? Why didn't previous managers trust him? Was it just because of injuries? Like, I thought the move to AC Milan, like six months ago, I, I kept on getting asked, where do you want him to go? Where should Pulisic go? And I kept saying, I was like, AC Milan would be like kind of the best fit and the best realistic fit. Napoli was like another was another thought, but like AC Milan was the absolute perfect landing spot for him. And it's gone even better than, than we could have imagined again over a very small sample size of what two games now. So I'm very curious to see how that kind of evolves and progresses. But like so far, it's, it's been perfect. Ben, let's let's go back to Arsenal, uh, who actually we haven't we haven't touched much on this week. Um, are you expecting any late movement there? It's going to be interesting, isn't it, with Arsenal? They are prepared to explore the market late in the window if the right opportunity presents itself. We were speaking in the earlier part of the window about Thomas Partey leaving, and he's obviously still at the football club, and that's why Arsenal haven't brought in another midfielder at this point. Kieran Tierney has gone to Real Sociedad. That is a season-long loan with no option to buy, and because Urien Timber is injured, and my understanding is won't be back until around late March, that means that there still may be some ability for Arsenal to bring in depth. But Mikel Arteta and Edu are really clear that Arsenal believe that they've got the momentum and the chemistry, even though they wobbled last season, even though they dropped two points against 10-man Fulham at the weekend. And as a consequence, there'll be no panic buying from Arsenal's point of view. I mentioned that earlier in the window, falling into that depth category, Arsenal had looked at Timothy Castagne, but he's now very close to joining Fulham. I understand that there'll be a medical today, so that one's off the table. But I don't think it's really fair to say that Arsenal were in the conversation for Castagne, just the kind of profile that they were looking for, and then they didn't move on it and Fulham did. So let's keep an eye on Arsenal. They also had explored the Mohamed Kudos deal around about a month ago, so that tells you that maybe they were looking for a little bit more as far as an attack-minded player is concerned, but they're not going to buy for the sake of it. And as we saw with the David Rea deal, they also have to be conscious of financial fair play. And that is why that one is a loan with an obligation to buy. From Arsenal's point of view, outgoings will still be very important as well. Balogun Monaco has been a deal that has progressed over the course of the last few days. And I think that even though Premier League clubs had looked at 
Balogun, his preference is to get regular game time. And nobody in the Premier League moved definitively enough to either offer him that or match Arsenal's asking price. And that's why it's dropped a little bit. Inter had looked at Balogun as well earlier in the window and the price was too high for them as well. And that's going to be interesting to see how he fares. Tom, maybe you could give your thoughts because let's not forget, he switched his allegiance to the US men's national team recently as well. Balogun, Monaco, is that the right kind of move for him? Yeah, I mean, he's already proven over that that year-long loan in France that he's that's a very good fit at somewhere that he can excel. Um, I like the idea of Monaco. I mean, look, like the Inter-Milan links, I think a lot of uh, nas- U.S. national team fans were very excited by that as well. Uh, so we were kind of hoping for that. But I, I, again, I, I think that Monaco w- would be a really good fit for him. And, and again, it's going to be somewhere where he's going to be the starting center forward. He's going to play every single game. And I think he's just going to continue to blossom. And look, he's still very young, like a move to an Inter-Milan or, or back to a, t- a club like Arsenal or in the Premier League. Like, there's plenty of time for that. He really just needs these games and scoring goals. Well, do keep your questions coming in because in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to get through as many of those as we can. Um, I just want to look at look back at this window, um, Ben and Tom, and think, what do you think is perhaps the best move that you've seen so far? I'll start. I'm biased because... As everybody knows, I'm a Leicester fan and I think James Madison to Spurs is going to be one of the most inspired moves of the window. If we're talking about best moves, everyone will have different criteria. Some will be looking at box office names. Some will want to reserve their judgment until later in the season. Some will just be looking at the need. So Caicedo, for example, to Chelsea is exactly what they need. And so is Lavia. But I just think looking at what James Madison brings, the personality, the form, the goals, the assists, especially with Harry Kane leaving, he's the one for me that might prove to be the signing of the summer. For for Tom, me, yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> while while we're again, Ben, you you led by by joking about you know everybody knows you're a Leicester fan. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be biased as well. I think the Dominic Schobesly, uh transfer was was perfect. Like again, I was a big fan as well as as Alexis uh, McAllister, and particularly at the prices that those two moves came at were really good. But for me, Schobesly, like I th- I think that a lot of Liverpool fans are just gonna pretend like Steven Gerrard handed him the number eight kit. We're gonna we're gonna forget about the Naby Keita um, era. And we'll, we'll just pretend that Shulbasai was the successor to Steven Gerrard. Yeah, I, you, you, you could be right. I, I, the, the, <laughs> I, for me, for, for me um, we, you've mentioned him already, Tom, uh, Jude Bellingham uh, to Real Madrid. I just yeah. think for what it, you, you look at the money now and that, it, it almost looks cheap to have a talent like that going to uh, Real Madrid. He's, he's been in blistering form since he's walked into the Bernabeu. And I think he's already a crowd favourite. And, and I think we've just got to keep remembering how young he is. And if you mm. think the, the potential that he could reach, it, it, from, from everything I'm told about Jude, that he has a very level-headed uh, head on his shoulders. Uh, he t- for, for people uh, of that um, youth, that, that, that um, sort of, not naivety, but, but inexperienced, even though, yes, he's been around for three or four years now, but to, to be able to walk in the Bernabeu and make that sort of impression, I think that is something extraordinary. And very few players do that. Even some of the greatest players who've, who've gone on to uh, be in, uh, at the Bernabeu do not make that sort of impression first up. And I think he's been, you know, utterly sensational. Um, I wonder if you could you could say, Ben and Tom, 
what your your bargain deal of this window has been. Tom, you go first. <laughs> okay, um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I, I think I got to be true to the brand and do an MLS related move here. Uh, Tati Gaziano, Salazio for around 15 million euros, I believe. That was a really great move. Uh, NYCFC were asking for 15 million for Tati last year and didn't get it. I was honestly shocked. And again, I'm I'm used to watching him week in week out. Uh, the development he made in MLS and the player he was by the time he was leaving. And this he went on loan to Girona. Uh, again, he scored four goals against Real Madrid in a game. I think he would have been really, really good for Leeds. I've been saying this, that like he was offered to Leeds and they in January, so 18 months ago, and they said, you know, no, we're good. And this was the year that Bielsa was still the manager and, and Jesse Marsh came in and they avoided relegation. I genuinely believe if, if Leeds went back for him in, in the summer and $15 million, 15 million euros is, is an extremely fair price, if not a bargain. I firmly believe that Leeds would have avoided relegation with that quality and the way that he would have fit into that team. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tati at, at Lazio. And I think 15 million is honestly a joke for him. If he was if he came straight from Girona rather than NYCFC to Girona, like I think he would have been 25, 30 million dollars. I think the strange thing for me about bargain in this window, and it's a trend that we've seen grow over the last few years, is bargains becoming 15 million, nonchalantly 20 million, 25 million. I think the average fee in the Premier League is 25 million pounds, which is crazy because I look at bargain as a free or something like Moises Caicedo when he joined Brighton and Hove Albion for 4 million. But now we have to redefine (laughs) bargain. And in this crazy redefining of bargain around that 25, 30, 35 million mark, I think two stand out to me. Alexis McAllister to Liverpool, simply because there was a release clause that allowed Liverpool to get McAllister for far less than his 60 million valuation. And the reason for that, by the way, is because when McAllister extended just before the World Cup, his contract was winding down. So cleverly, the agent and player said to Brighton, we're only going to sign if you put a valuation that almost guarantees a move away because it's such good value. So McAllister to Liverpool is one. And the other one I want to mention is James Ward-Prowse to West Ham. Uh, I'm I'm totally with you with with McAllister Ben. That has to be the bargain. Um, yes, okay. It was highlighted that it was such a bargain because he had such an unbelievable World Cup. And and clearly, you can double your money when when you play in a tournament like that, and you are so instrumental to a to a team winning the title. Then you can double your money. So that has to be for me, without doubt, um, the 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 total bargain. Whatever comes our way in the next few days. That, for me, is the bargain of the century. Um, but what about the best window for a club? What clubs had a really good window, do you think? Ben, you kick us off. <laughs> Bristol City, Angus, maybe? <laughs> no, I, I, on, honestly, the Columbus I, crew? Yeah, the, the, the jury's still out on, on my team. So um, I, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, though, uh, Ben. But uh, for you, a, a Premier League, a top side that, that for you's had a really good window? I think Arsenal, it's hard to overlook the statement made by bringing Declan Rice and then following it up with when he's fit, Jurian Timber. I know that takes an edge off the window, but I'm judging it on recruitment, not unfortunately in this case, how the players have fared. It's too early for anybody to judge these signings. You ultimately 
win on a football field rather than in your recruitment. But if we're looking at names and profiles, I think that Arsenal have been very ambitious. David Rea is intriguing and we wait and see whether he can take the number one of Aaron Ramsdale because Ramsdale signed a new contract and a long-term one. So you've got two top goalkeepers. Rea, though, played every game for Brentford last season. So that is effectively Arsenal saying we want that competition and also we're prepared to spend big to get depth, which certainly suggests they believe they can sustain their position from last season, which is challenging for the Premier League title. And then Kai Havertz hasn't made the best start, I have to say, at Arsenal. And it was big money paid. But I think when you look at the profile of everyone that Arsenal have brought in, they're stronger than they were last season. And this is why I think they've had the best in inverted commas window so far. And Tom, uh, for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with an MLS team, and it feels a little bit like cheating for Inter Miami. Uh, but look, like when you bring in Lino Messi, Sergio Busquets, and Jordi Alba, the team can go from last to probably just about the best team in the league right now. But a facet of their summer that is going under the radar for obvious reasons because it's much easier and and you know much better to be talking about Messi, Busquets, and Alba. They spent $15 million on three really talented young South American youth internationals in Toto Aviles. Uh, Facundo Fares and uh, Diego Gomez. These are all, uh, Gomez is now a full Paraguay international and, and the other two are, are Argentine youth internationals. So the way that, and an MLS roster rules, I won't go too deep here, but transfer fees are usually part of your budget. So teams can't spend $10 million on a player all the time or do whatever. There's this rule that you can sign players under 22 years old and spend whatever you want on the transfer fee, and they can go onto the budget without having to use that. So that's what Inter Miami did to kind of stretch their roster and add depth beyond behind those, you know, superstar, those, those big names. Messi and Busquets did not play on Saturday. They needed to be rotated and rested. Or they didn't start, rather, which would have been the regular season debut. The three U22 players did, and those three are awesome. One, uh, Aviles, a center back, the most expensive center back in MLS history, um, was crucial to a clean sheet. Diego Gomez scored the first goal before Messi came and, and scored. I'm sure everybody's seen that highlight. It was phenomenal. And, and Farias was the most uh, dangerous attacker on the field. So uh, Inter-Miami for both the obvious and the not obvious reasons. But then, you know, for, for people listening that aren't too familiar with MLS, I'll spare you Columbus Crew Talk. And I will say Aston Villa for me, like Musa Diaba, Diaby, sorry, Pau Torres, Zaniolo, uh, T. Lemons, like that's a wonderful window. I really like what Aston Villa has been doing over the last few years. Like when I am, he's like, a fantastic coach for me. So they've been, they're a fun team to watch. And I think that they did really, really good work here. For me, it's, it's West Ham. I think they've had a, I think getting Mohamed Kudus, um, if they get that over the line, I think that's the great two signings from Ajax and uh, Alvarez as well. Ben, you've already mentioned James Ward-Prowse. I think that's a, a really good signing and uh, Mavropanos uh, at the back as well. I, I think it's looking good and I'm not sure it's, it's over. I think there's a good replacements. They've used that 105 million pounds from the uh, Declan Rice sale. I think they've they've done it really, really well. Throw it the other way, though. Let's name Ben a, a, a team that's still got work to do. Yeah, there's a few. Obviously, it's not a bad thing. I think when we were discussing this off air, we put it as team with the worst window, and I didn't think that was fair because. It's a work in progress, a window, and the most work to do can be positive and negative. And I think Chelsea are probably the team with the most work to do because they need to resolve a series of outgoings to have a manageable squad size. The same can be said for Tottenham as well. But Maurizio Pochettino is clear in a season without European football that he doesn't want 30 
or 27. He wants under 25. And that's led to some tough decisions, including, for example, Lewis Hall to Newcastle, even though Hall the week before he moved had signed a new six plus one year deal. Mark Kukurea could still go, although I should point out, despite all of the talk and the interest being genuine from Manchester United, they're looking at multiple options and there has not yet been a formal offer. At least there wasn't as of lunchtime in the UK. We'll wait and see what progresses this afternoon. Lukaku's the one that's dragged out. Chelsea will be disappointed if they loan to Roma with no obligation to buy because a permanent sale was always the number one priority. And then away from the outgoings, and I won't repeat myself, but we touched upon Gallagher, Trevor Chalaber as well. Chelsea still need to find a bit of depth in that final third due to the fact that Amanda Broya is only just coming back from doing his ACL. And on top of that, Christopher Nkunku has picked up a relatively long-term injury as well and won't be back until either towards the end of the year or early 2024. So Chelsea are the team for me that have still got the most work to do. It's not a negative, but it means that Chelsea fans need to wait up at midnight, beyond midnight. Remember, when the window shuts, there's still that extra hour you can ask for. And then there's another hour or so when you can get the paperwork done. So if I was a Chelsea fan on deadline day, I would be saying, join me, stay up with me until at least 1am to be sure that you know all of your side's business. Not many people get an invite to stay up until 1am with Ben Jacobs. <laughs> Not many people accept an invite to stay up until 1am with Ben Jacobs. <laughs> uh, for me, I think you've got to look at Everton. I think uh, they're still trying to do a little bit of work now. And I think Sean Dyche is desperate to improve the squad that he's got. Otherwise, it could be another very long season um, for... Everton and I think Wolves are a concern as well. I think they've got a good enough good players there, but the fact that the investment isn't there is really hard work. I think for Gary O'Neill to get a decent squad, and we've talked about Nunez, and if he were to go, then I, I think there's some really key players that have gone from that squad. Very briefly, talk us through that Lionel Messi move to Miami and how it first came about. Yeah, look, this has been in the works for a very long time. First and foremost, when Inter Miami entered MLS as an expansion club, <clears throat> when it was announced, he was part of their announcement video. It was, hey, maybe I'll, I'll come in a few years and, and, and join the club. And then he did. So this has been in the work for a very long time. The A lot of people assumed it was David Beckham with his Adidas connections, with his name, with everything else, that he was the one leading this. But no, it was Miami's other owners, Jorge and Jose Mas. Jorge Mas was in uh, Messi's family suite at the World Cup final. Um, he was going to Paris to, to meet with them, to speak with them. Like this deal was very long in advance. Miami specifically held open the number 10 and number five shirts uh, this winter. They have been building their roster, their club to be ready for not just Messi and Busquets, but also for whatever other moves, which would be Alba. And then the three very highly rated young players that I told you about. So Miami were the worst team in the first half of the season, almost by design because an MLS with, with a salary cap, if you're holding all of your, Roster designations, you're playing with one hand behind your back. And they had a couple injuries. So they were very, very bad in the first half of the season. But this wasn't this wasn't like uh, Messi called them and said, hey, I think I'm ready to come now. Like they had been planning for this. They had been recruiting. They'd been working on this and being ready for this moment. So, yeah, like they're overperforming so far because you can't go undefeated. You can't win every game, everything else. that They already won a trophy and now they're into another final. And Messi made, just made his MLS debut. But like they were planning for this scenario for, for a very long time. And, and they're benefiting from the fruits of that labor. Well, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's brilliant. 
Uh, it clearly is working at the moment and it's having a desired effect. Uh, what about um, Caicedo to, to Chelsea, Ben? I mean, that's almost, almost as long as the Messi move. <laughs> yeah, one of the stories of the summer and Chelsea ended up paying what's likely to be a British transfer record fee. Remember, Enzo Fernandez had moved for big money in January and the add-ons are gettable enough that Moises Caicedo could end up costing Chelsea £115 million. And I think Chelsea had started with this very clear position that Moises Caicedo should not be more than many. And as a consequence, they tried to keep their bids under or close to at least the 80 million mark and the original Chelsea bids were 55 million in January and then they went up to 60 and obviously Brighton had one clear position which is that Moises Caicedo is a hundred plus million pound player and it was about whether that was a game or Brighton were going to stick to their position and in the end Brighton have managed to get a fantastic fee but I think much like with Declan Rice even though Manchester City didn't bid as high as we thought as soon as Liverpool moved it was always going to be a massive fee because there were two suitors in the race and the situation with Liverpool was quite surprising because they pulled out of Jude Bellingham because they argued that the outlay was too much in fairness to Liverpool we should point out it wasn't just the fee there's agents fees there's wages Caicedo's deal doesn't have everything that the Bellingham deal would have done but ultimately Liverpool swooped in for Caicedo late having indicated all summer that they were not going to bid for Caicedo because they thought the price was too high and that's exactly what Liverpool sources had said in January as well but needs must and also the other key point in all of this is just that the Saudi money Liverpool received for Fabinho and Jordan Henderson was on very preferable payment terms and that allowed them to move more aggressively in the market so when they saw that Chelsea's talks had seemingly stalled or were moving slower than expected they came in and they made a 111 million pound offer the next morning after that was accepted, Chelsea told Caicedo to wait. Caicedo indicated that he only wanted Chelsea. He was texting with several Chelsea senior players, including, I understand, Wesley Fofana and Thiago Silva. And he decided to wait. And then from there, I think the writing was on the wall. As soon as he didn't travel up to Merseyside for a medical... Chelsea were aware they had it in their control, but they were going to have to match or better the Liverpool package. And that is exactly what they did. So they got Moises Caicedo. On the one hand, day one of the window, you would have said it's relatively inevitable Caicedo was going to join Chelsea. And yet it took long enough that we got all of these twists and turns. I think the last thing that I would say which is very important now away from Chelsea is just that Liverpool have put it out there in the market that they've got 111 million pounds that they're prepared to spend. So for all of Klopp's disdain for 100 million pound plus players, for all of the on record comments about Liverpool quibbling over millions because they don't have as big a budget as other clubs, the perception has changed now. And if Liverpool are to move late in the market, the whole market knows that they've got £111 million burning a hole in their back pocket. And I think that that is going to make it difficult for Liverpool in the final four days to get deals done at value. All right, Ben, it's high time. I think we got to some quick fire questions uh, from our viewers and listeners, and we'll go through as many as we can. Uh, Sancho links. Uh, how might that be uh, uh, interpreted? From Andre Solops. 
Yeah, a lot of people are asking me about Jaden Sancho. Manchester United don't have a huge desire to sell and a loan, therefore, would not necessarily be in their interest either. I think these links have come about for two reasons. One, because Chelsea might engage with Manchester United over Mark Cucurea, though again, to emphasise, at least as of lunch today, there was no formal bid placed for a loan. And then Chelsea are looking for an attack-minded option. And Joe Shields at Chelsea was the player that spotted Sancho and had brought him to Manchester City in, I believe, 2015. So that's where the links come about. But I suspect that Manchester United are looking for permanent outgoing sales. And I wouldn't say that Sancho is exactly top of that list. And the reason why I believe that is because Spurs had inquired earlier in the window for somewhere in the region of 40, 45 million. And not only had Manchester United wanted about 10 million more, but nothing had progressed because, again, Eric Ten Hag is fine if Sancho stays at the football club. So I understand why people would make the links, especially because Chelsea are being quite secretive over their targets. But as things stand at the moment, I'm not aware of anything advanced between Chelsea and Jadon Sancho. Okay, Ben, you said, this is from Bartos Zawada, Ben, you said £160 million Mbappe bid expected in the last days. Yeah, I didn't actually say that. What I said was that <laughs> 160 <laughs> What did you say? How do I sort of backtrack while staying? Yeah, wriggle out of this one. Walking like Homer Simpson into that hedge. No, what I said <laughs> was that PSG had believed all summer. They still do ultimately believe that Mbappe had this secret deal to join Real Madrid on a free in 2024. And in joining Real Madrid, he would receive a signing on fee of 160 million euros. Now the situation has changed and PSG believe Mbappe is committed and they're hopeful of getting him to sign a new deal, which will make a lot of these secret deal theories quite redundant. But 160 million euros is the number that PSG have decided is competitive to start entertaining offers for Kylian Mbappe because of that 160 million sign-on fee. So what they're saying is, if Real are to bid, you've got to give us the 160 million euros and then Mbappe wouldn't get his signing-on fee. And if he wants the move in the final days of the window, that is how it has to play out. But this predated the fact that Mbappe has been brought back into the fold now at PSG. So it's a completely different situation and one that PSG are a lot calmer about. Now, as for a real bid, the expectation that I reported was not at that number. The expectation is if Real Madrid come in now, it might be more for optics. It might be because they know that it's calmer between PSG and Mbappe. They know that the player may not leave this summer, but they want to paint PSG as greedy. They want to show themselves in a light that says we tried. So this is the possibility that PSG sources have said could materialise. It's not definite, but if it does materialise, I don't think it will be at that 160 number. I think it will be somewhere closer to 100 million euros. So therefore, the offer actually is known by Real and known by PSG in many ways to be turned away. But it shows that Real tried. And then PSG can obviously say nobody's met our valuation. So it is kind of one to watch between now and the end of the window. But I think it's worth pointing out that the dynamic now between Mbappe and PSG has changed dramatically. And there's a very realistic possibility that after the window shuts, Kylian Mbappe signs a new deal, which means if Real want Mbappe, they're going to have to pay a transfer fee. Thank you, Ben. Um, Tom, I got a question for you here. Um, now, what about the uh, uh, Almada move to uh, uh, Ajax? 
Yeah, so this is, again, with all the context of the MLS transfer window already being closed, um, Tiago Amada is integral to everything Atlanta could do or are doing right now. He's one of the best players in the league. Ajax have come in. They are very interested as for him as, as a Kudu replacement. Um, there was a report in the Netherlands that suggested maybe this deal could get done a little bit north of 15 million euros. I can tell you with 100% certainty, Atlanta wouldn't even pick up the phone let alone agree to a deal anywhere near there. Look, like Almada was bought for just north of 16 million, which was an MLS inbound uh, record transfer. They are not going to sell for anything less than like 29, 30 million, like easily. Like this needs to be a new MLS record outbound transfer, particularly at this stage where they don't really need the money to be fair. Their ownership is extremely wealthy. He owns an NFL franchise, like all of this. Like they don't, they're not looking for money. But they understand if a bid comes in for $30 million from Ajax or someone else, that it's going to be very difficult to keep Thiago Mata the same way that uh, New England didn't want to sell Georgie Petrovic. They didn't need the money. But when Chelsea came in, they understood that they couldn't really stand in his way. So the only way this is going to get done is if Ajax ups their, doubles their bid or doubles what they're going to bid because there have not been any official bids yet. Um, but again, Thiago Mata, World Cup winner. He's been awesome for Atlanta and MLS. I think it's still more likely that a move happens in the winter. Almada is ready to go. He would love to join Ajax. Um, there's reports that he's even agreed personal terms with Ajax already. But this deal isn't getting done unless Ajax offer $30 million, And I don't think that they're going to. No, but they do have a bit of money in their bank. Now, after a couple of the transfers that they've done, most notably Kudo says, we've talked about to West Ham. Okay, let's uh, get uh, some more questions now. Uh, Hong Pham. Graven bench news. What what uh, news have we got? Ben Graven bench. I love yeah, it. Well, exactly. he certainly won't be on Birch. the bench if he wants <laughs> to join either Manchester United or Liverpool. Graven bench transition. Birch, indeed, is the name. But Graven bench was how it was spelt in the question. I think he was doing. I think he was doing it as a joke. I think it was on purpose. I like it. So <laughs> Ryan Graven Birch is a interesting late window story, simply because. Liverpool had a historical interest in Graven Birch prior to his move to Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich signed the player under Julian Nagelsmann and the two didn't get on. And the main reason for that was because they shared a different football philosophy. And as a consequence, I think Nagelsmann got quite frustrated that Graven Birch lacked a bit of defensive discipline and awareness off the ball. Liverpool see a window of opportunity and we see links now with Manchester United as well and both the ones to watch between now and the end of the window and the reason for that is because Thomas Tuchel has pacified the player to an extent but he still doesn't feel fully settled which means that if Bayern give a green light for a sale then Graven Birch will move. His preference is Liverpool but he's not against a move to Manchester United so this one has legs to it but it is still contingent on buying giving that final green light that they're prepared to sell otherwise it will have to be revisited in 2024 ben a little one for you here as well dylan lyons asking about decore to liverpool yeah i've seen quite a lot of links with czech decore and liverpool but remember crystal palace are in control of things and i think that that is a very important point in this story. They value the 23-year-old midfielder in excess of 60 million euros or 50 million pounds. So Liverpool will have that desperation. They might have to pay above the odds. And that comes back to the point that I made earlier. On the one hand, Liverpool were 
bartering over two or three million for Lavia and it took so long, Chelsea were able to come in on that deal and end up getting Caicedo and Lavia. So now if you're talking about a player like Decore, you have to pay the asking price and you're running out of time as well. But Crystal Palace would rather not sell. And we saw with how they handled Michael Elise that they are able to persuade their players to stay ultimately. So now we have to wait and see whether with this type of deal, Liverpool are prepared to make an offer and also prepared to pay above the odds because that's what it's going to take to be successful. Tom, with your MLS hat on, can you give us some names to watch out for in the next six months or so? Yeah, so Brandon Vasquez, if if um, he, uh, German clubs are interested in him, Cadiz from Spain, he's somebody who would have been Munchen Gladbach if they had their way. They would have signed him this this summer, uh, but Cincinnati aren't moving. Same deal for Alvaro Barrial, left back, left wing back. Uh, Ajax want him, but Cincinnati aren't selling this summer. Cade Cowell, uh, Bologna had a couple bids um, discussed, and there were negotiations. I'd imagine the chances that move happens before the window are very low, but hey, who knows what, what happens over the next few days. Uh, U.S. national team striker Jesus Ferreira. I thought Sevilla were going to come in for him. They ultimately didn't. Um, but he's a name to watch in, in Italy and Spain over the next six months. Jack McGlynn, Philadelphia Union central midfielder, U.S. Youth International, is another one. I think he's going to end up in England, potentially in the winter. And Noel Buck, I think that he's absolutely going to end up in, in somewhere in England because he has a U.K. passport. I think I, I know for a fact that England U19s um, tried to call him up in the summer. It was decided for him to stay with New England where he was starting. He's in a U.S. Youth International, but he's eligible for England. Uh, England, I'm almost certain, are going to call him up in September. So that's another name to watch for, again, an American-English dual national. And he's New England Revolution central midfielder. Uh, Tottenham had been interested in him, but he very quickly kind of played himself out of their price point because they weren't looking – they were looking to get somebody very cheap before he, you know, really made his debut and made his name in MLS. But this is a player that's going to cost, you know, probably 5 or $10 million, So he's probably going to go to a different English team uh, almost definitely this winter. Okay, plenty of names to look out for there. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> uh, ben, over to no, 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 no. Because they're all good names, and um, I'm sure some of them we we will definitely see over in uh, in the UK, maybe in the Premier League. If you were a betting man, uh, Ben, who's your money on as Chelsea's final signing? Says the Blue Lounge. I'm not a betting man, so you should never, no. ever take my tips because anybody that either plays fancy with me and asks for predictions or score predictions knows that I'm wrong on this front many, many times. But I think that Bradley Bacola is one that is going to be quite interesting simply because PSG are struggling to get that one over the line. So I'm quite intrigued to see whether Chelsea can muscle in on that. And just to answer one question in the chat as well, away from Chelsea, I want to just talk very quickly about Leeds because I know there's a lot of Leeds fans in the chat and we focused on the Premier League. I really hope Leeds can come back up as well to the top flight, as long as it's not at the expense of Leicester, but just or in 30 Bristol seconds. City. Or Bristol City, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. But Thank certainly you. Leicester. And we're four for four at the moment, Leicester. But I think with Leeds, yeah, they're going to yeah, be we really Don't busy. rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> so with Leeds, I think Amiri is one to watch. It's entirely on the player. Kamara at Rangers still could happen between now and the end of the window. And an exclusive that I broke a few days ago that's now carrying legs is also Jed Spence from Spurs. And that one would be on a season-long loan. So keep an eye out on Leeds because I think Kamara would love the move. So that's for Leeds to decide. It's in their control. The fee will be about $5 million. Amiri is more whether the player wants the move to Leeds and to go into the championship. And like I say, Jed Spence, Spurs would have preferred, still would prefer 
to sell on a permanent deal, but there's not that much interest as far as top flight clubs in England are concerned. So as a result, a solution might be to send him on a season-long loan. And it looks like if Leeds want him, they can get him, which is bad news for you, Angus, because Bristol City were another one of the clubs that had looked. Hmm. Well, yeah, we are, are, <laughs> honestly, our record is is not good in the in the transfer window at the moment. Um, but anyway, I, I don't want to dwell on that. And I'm sure... And most by the, of the way, Angus, less... sorry, yeah, you on, lost Angus Scott's favourite player, who was it's... Alex... Scott. Alex Scott. Look, he's he's not your player. son, as far as I'm aware. He, he, I wish he was. I'd be looking after him. Don't you worry. Uh, he will be a very good player. And the fact that uh, he's got a, probably another two months before Bournemouth fans will see him. But I think you will see when he does start playing uh, down at the Vitality and elsewhere that he is a, he is a quality player. Uh, he's very happy to run with the ball and get a foot stuck in. There aren't many players like that who have that natural ability where the ball does stick to him and he's willing to get his you know, foot in and be a little bit nasty at times, which is, I think he's really good. And he's, he's only 20, but we'll see, we see a lot more of him um, in the coming years. Right. Uh, Arsenal news, timber replacement, uh, new uh, RW or a forward. Is that a right winger or a forward? Yeah, I think we kind of covered Arsenal before and we have to understand whether or not they can find the right profile because spending-wise, their window has been done and under financial fair play, there's some considerations as well. I would keep an eye on Barcelona's Eric Garcia. That's probably the most surprising late window target as far as the Gunners are concerned. They might move for a new defender because of the injury to Yuri and Timber. I think I'd be a little bit more surprised if Arsenal end up going for another attack-minded player. I think they would have moved by now because there were certain targets in the market around that 40, 50, 60 million mark that it's going to take that Arsenal inquired about. Mohamed Kudos was obviously one of them about a month ago and they didn't move. So to have a scramble now at this stage of the season would be a bit more surprising, but that is the madness ultimately of the last four days of the window. Well, Let's let's round up by talking about those, you know, the last few days of the window, and and if you're expecting quite a busy finish, Ben, to it, I, I mean, or or not quite as chaotic as it usually is. Well, I think we won't necessarily have as box office a story as we've seen throughout this summer, partly because. Kane has already gone, Caicedo's already gone, Messi's already gone, Neymar's already gone, so it's hard to allocate deadline day names of that stature and say something crazy is going to happen unless Mo Salah ends up leaving for Al-Itihad. And that's the story that Saudi Pro League fans and Al-Itihad fans will be hoping will happen, even though Liverpool have made it clear that the player is not for sale. And if you're late to the stream again, my knowledge is that it's 150 million euros package being prepared with 100 million euros up front. So we wait and see whether Liverpool's position changes and only Mo Salah and Liverpool can control the situation now. This isn't a willing club that wants to sell and it's a player we've been told by his agent on record in early August is committed to Liverpool. So we have to now understand whether or not Salah is going to do anything should he want the move now to try and force the issue. Otherwise, Liverpool are just going to ignore the noise and plan for the season with Mo Salah. And he's obviously integral to them as Jurgen Klopp has said, you only have to look at the win over Newcastle and that well-weighted pass to Darwin Nunez for the injury time winner. So Salah more likely to stay at Liverpool. Personally, I'd be surprised if Salah goes, but 
money can talk. And this is why deadline day is exciting because Saudi Arabia has until the 7th of September for top flight clubs to move, but they're well aware that if they buy from European clubs, those European clubs will be seeking replacements, especially if they're surprise deals. So this is ultimately why Saudi Arabia will be treating their deadline as the end of the European deadline first. And then if there is still business to be done in the following seven days in September, they have that chance, but they know that European clubs will not want to sell knowing that they can't find a replacement. And then I think we have to keep an eye on Kylian Mbappe, whether or not there's news shortly after the window that he's going to sign a new PSG deal or whether Real do try audaciously and maybe now unexpectedly to make some kind of last ditch offer. So there'll be stories there to watch for sure. There'll be busy clubs, but my view is that the biggest stories of this window so far have already happened. And you just wonder... You know, Tom, as well on this, how, if at all, this can be sustained? Clearly, there's a special business model that that brought Lionel Messi in, and it had to be because it was unaffordable otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but the threat now for the MLS from Saudi Arabia is, we, you know, they could be spending, but we, we were told, you know, um, tens of billions of pounds set aside for the, and this is really only well, we're into the second year of them spending big bucks. So they've still got a few years to to carry on forking out for a lot of players and a, and a huge threat to the MLS. Yeah, look, MLS can't compete with it. Like I said earlier in the show, like uh, PSG almost couldn't compete with it. Like looking at Neymar leaving and look at the offers that were on the table for Mbappe to leave. Like it's not just MLS clubs, but like it's even European clubs like Liverpool. Like look at the, the money being offered to Salah as, as Ben's reporting. Like it's it's very difficult for everybody, not just MLS. And, and MLS is obviously more directly in competition with Saudi Arabia, just as like the non-European league for, for players to go to. But like, look, MLS clubs, I said earlier in the show, Thiago Almada at 16 and a half million was the MLS record transfer. Like that's that's nowhere near Saudi money, right? Like, so it, it's it's difficult to even call it a competition. It just depends on what the players want. If they want the lifestyle for, I've talked to agents, club sources, uh, all of this, like, if the player wants money, they're going to Saudi. And like, that's it. Brilliant, Tom. Thank you very much indeed. Well, that is your football debrief. Many thanks to our guests these, this week, uh, Tom Boger. And as always, our guru, Fabrizio Romano. Remember, he'll be here every week giving us his spin on all the big transfer dealings around the world. Ben, uh, will you be pleased when Friday is over? Or actually, there'll be an element, <laughs> of, there'll be an element of sadness. You might have a little lie-in. Um, but then you'll start all the gossip uh, for the next transfer window, which won't be too long away. September, I've got to cover the end of the Saudi window as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll be sleeping on the 8th of September. But as you say, the gossip will start for January pretty much as soon as this summer closes. And as a consequence, the window always just feels ongoing. So I've got plenty of coffee. I'm looking forward to some sleep. And you know what? I think for January... I'm going to go like Tom. I'm going to switch my transfer window beard for a transfer window moustache. Let's go. Let's go. I'm holding you to that. I hope you know. (laughs) Go for it. Let's all go lasso. All lasso. All right. Okay. Well, thank you both. It's been great. Great to have you on board. Thank you for everyone for joining us. Uh, My personal thanks to Ye Old Ferry Inn in Simmons Yacht, which has hosted (laughs) me today. They've been very accommodating given me um, a, a room in something must be over 800 years old. So it's um, it's a pretty special place. If you're ever around here, come to ye old Ferry Inn. 
uh, it's marvelous. All right, folks. Thanks very much indeed for you uh, to you, and thanks for listening. We'll be back with your debrief next week. Bye bye.